Hey guys, it's Priscilla Hale. Welcome back to Med Circle. Today is November 6, 2019. This episode's story is about personal medical experience of our two guests that involves school lockdowns, extra organs, more than five-hour procedures, and additional shocking events. Today's guest star is Stephanie Cabrera and Amelia Williams. Hi, thanks for having us on the show. We're so excited to be here. Thanks for coming in today. So you both have had corrective surgeries, right? Yes. Yes. Estefania, why don't we start with you? Sure. Would you mind giving us a brief explanation of what your surgery was? Of course, I had a corrective surgery for bladder reflux. Bladder reflux is the abnormal flow of urine from your bladder back up to the tubes, also known as your ureters, that connect your kidneys to your bladder. Normally, urine flows only down from your kidneys to your bladder. Okay, so can you tell us the events that led up to your surgery and what happened? It started a long time ago. I was three months old and my family and I were driving home from El Paso, Texas. We always go to El Paso because that's where my extended family lives. My parents discovered I had a fever, so we stopped at an emergency room in Fort Stockton. They thought that I might have had a virus, but I was overall fine. In the days after the hospital, I was becoming lethargic, where I wouldn't eat and only wanted to sleep. My mom took me to my pediatrician, Dr. Enders, and I received blood work. We were told to go straight to the ER. At the hospital, the test showed that I was born with bladder reflex. I stayed in the hospital for a week and started to see a pediatric urologist regularly. He is still my current one. I was given a low-dose liquid antibiotics. For the next three years, I saw my urologist. Every time I had a fever, we had to go to the doctor to see if I had a urine or bladder infection. It had been three and a half years since they first told me I had bladder reflex, and I hadn't gotten an infection since, but I wasn't getting better. There is a scale for bladder reflex with five the worst and one the best, and I was ranked a three in the middle. My urologist, Dr. Saramedes, thought it would get better as I grew older, but the conditions just stayed the same. My parents asked him what the other options were. It was either wait until I got better or perform surgery. They decided to do the surgery because they didn't want me on antibiotics for the rest of my life if it didn't get better. They scheduled the surgery in November. More specifically, it was one week before my fourth birthday. The surgery was supposed to be around three hours but ended up being seven hours. During the surgery, either the surgeon or doctor came out to tell my parents that I had an extra half kidney but it had no function and it didn't work with the others, so they removed it. Most people have two kidneys, so that means I was born with two and one of the kidneys had an extra half to go with it. Following the surgery, I stayed at Dell Children's Hospital for about a week. Wow, thanks for sharing your experience. Amelia, why don't you give us a brief explanation of what your surgery was on? So last year, I was diagnosed with supraventricular tachycardia, which is an abnormally rapid heart rhythm most often triggered by a re-entry mechanism that may be caused by premature atrial or ventricular ectopic beats that are classified according to the location of the re-entry circuit. Okay, so can you tell us the events that led up to your surgery and what happened? During an STV attack, my BPM would often be over 280. Frequent and aggressive STV attacks can weaken the cardiac muscle over time, which is why medical treatment was sought out when I was diagnosed. If the STV episode lasts more than 25 minutes, you can begin to feel very weak because the heart is unable to properly pump blood to the rest of the body, depriving the muscles of oxygen. I started noticing my STV attacks around sixth grade. 
However, when I tried to tell my parents or coaches about my symptoms, they dismissed it and said I was probably just overexerting myself and should drink some water. Over the next two years of middle school, my STD attacks became more frequent and lasted longer, but I would rarely pay attention to it because everyone thought I was just exaggerating. When I started playing basketball in seventh grade, my STD attacks were almost weekly and began to really bother me. One day during basketball practice, I became extremely short of breath and asked my coaches if I could go to the locker room for a second. While I was walking in the locker room, my vision became extremely blurry and I struggled to keep my balance. My whole body felt so weak, so I stumbled onto the bench near my locker and tried to take deep breaths. But a few seconds later, I blacked out. When I got home that day, I told my parents what had happened and they became pretty concerned and scheduled a doctor's appointment for later that week. When I went to the doctor, they performed an EKG and did some blood tests, yet they didn't find anything. They just said I should simply try not to exercise so hard and drink some water when I felt discomfort. But just in case, if they missed something, they referred me to a cardiologist at Dell Children's Hospital. When I went to see him, he seemed a little curious when I described my symptoms, so he took another EKG and then gave me a heart monitor to apply to my chest when I had another episode. He explained how to use the monitor and showed me how to contact an operator at the hospital who could record the data the monitor collected. I continued my week normally until that next Tuesday while in 8th grade girls athletics doing sprints, I began to feel an episode coming on. Once I finished sprints, I casually walked to the locker room and used the monitor to record my episode. I then walked to the nurse's office and used the phone to call the operator and followed her instructions to record the monitor's data. The operator seemed very confused when she received the recording. She asked me to play the recording again, and then with an anxious tone, she asked to speak to my nurse. They spoke on the phone for a little while, and then my nurse looked very panicked and quickly put the pulse oximeter on my finger and told me to lie down. I was so confused because this wasn't even a severe episode for me, so I didn't know why everyone was getting so panicked all of a sudden. The pulse oximeter took a little while to read my pulse, but eventually it read 290. My nurse explained to me that I was at a dangerously high BPM rate and we needed to get it down as soon as possible or else she would have to call an ambulance to take me to the hospital so they could administer a medicine that would lower my BPM. She guided me through some breathing exercises, but after 30 minutes, my BPM only went down to 275. My nurse then called my mom, 911, and the school administrators who proceeded to shut down the front half of the school so that EMS could quickly come in and easily park without going through too much traffic. I tried to remain as calm as possible to lower my BPM rate, but, you know, it was a little difficult going from people saying, oh, it's nothing, to we're going to have to call 911 right now. My mom was nearby, so she actually arrived before EMS did, and the nurse frantically tried to explain to her what was happening. Once EMS did arrive, of course my dumb heart decided to stop freaking out, and my BPM eventually went down into the 100s. Still, EMS performed an EKG at the school and asked my mom if she wanted them to take me to the hospital just to keep an eye on my heart rhythm, but she took me home instead. The next day, I went to see my cardiologist because he had received the recording from my monitor of my last episode, and he said he believed he knew what it could be. He said he was fairly certain that I had supraventricular tachycardia, but he wanted to do an ultrasound of my heart to see if it was caused by a ventricular malfunction or atrial fibrillation which are disorganized electrical signals in my heart. It turned out to be atrial fibrillation, and the doctor proceeded to tell me and my dad that we had about two treatment options, one being a medication that would lower my heart rate in general and make it quite difficult to perform well in sports, or he can do an ablation surgery and try to eliminate the electrical circuit in my heart 
that was causing the palpitations. He explained that the surgery would definitely be more effective, but there was a risk that if he was unable to properly ablate the circuit, there would be a potential risk of me needing to get a pacemaker. After some debate, my parents and I decided to get the surgery done. So on October 16th, I had the ablation, and the surgery took about four to five hours and thankfully was quite successful. For a couple of weeks after the surgery, I would occasionally feel some weird fluttering patterns in my heart, but other than that, the surgery worked well, because although I still do have an occasional episode here and there, it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. Whoa, I couldn't imagine going through that. Okay, so now that I've listened to both of your stories, I have a few questions to ask. How did you prepare for your surgery? I couldn't eat after a certain time, and my parents and I had to get to the hospital super early. They were only allowed to walk me to the surgery doors and then had to hand me off to a nurse. The night prior to my surgery, I had to stop eating around 12 o'clock and wasn't allowed to drink anything past 2 in the morning. The day of the surgery, I had to take a bunch of medication because I don't react well to anesthesia. And then my mom went to the cafeteria and the nurses took me into the operating room. So how long did it take you to recover? Like I said, I stayed in the hospital for a week after my surgery. And after that, I was supposed to stay at home for a week and get rest. But my mom told me that after two days of resting, I wanted to go outside and ride my scooter. So after my surgery, I had to stay overnight in the hospital. And then I went home and for about a week, I could not lift anything over five pounds because they did the catheter ablation through my femoral arteries. And after my surgery, my heart kind of fluctuated and fluttered a little bit uncomfortably for a couple of weeks, but eventually it stabled and was more comfortable. Did you make a full recovery? Do you still have problems? And do you still have to go to the doctor today? Yes, I made a full recovery and I don't have problems that relate to my surgery, but I still have to go to my urologist yearly. Yes, I did make a full recovery after my surgery, and I visit my cardiologist yearly. However, I still do have some reoccurrences in episodes. However, they're nowhere near as bad as they used to be. They're very minor and don't last as long. So did you have any more surgeries after the one you just talked about? After my surgery, I didn't have any more. Besides this surgery, I have had six other surgeries and will most likely have more. However, they are for an unrelated other medical reason. So to close us off, were there any funny moments or details that you left out? Since I was really young when I had my surgery, one of the only things that I remember was that I was given a rainbow popsicle at the hospital and I really liked it. A funny memory that I have from after my surgery was that I got a lot of Tiff's treats from friends and family, so I ate two whole boxes by myself in three days. Thank you guys so much for sharing your stories. I really enjoyed talking with you guys.